What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome back to What the If. Back from an unintentional hiatus. Crises in the timelines. Welcome back. Um, I welcome uh, to the studio both of our incredible co-hosts, Matt and Gabby. Uh, Matt Stanley, professor, uh, historian of science, um, and and time lord. uh, Mm-hmm. From New York University, um, back in uh, 2024. How is when you when you when you fly back and forth in time as you do mm-hmm. between, you know, throughout the history of science? Um, is it jarring, or do you have do you get like time lag, like get jet lag, or you no? You see, that's the the beauty of a time machine is you're never oh. time lagged. Uh, you always arrive exactly when you mean to. <laughs> like, a like a wizard. <laughs> like a wizard. Like a that's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's good to have you back. We were off for a couple of weeks there. Uh, I was off filming uh, for my documentary about the video game Mist, and uh, and then Matt was as, as a fighting. Uh, are, are you able to say anything about the uh, the crises you were you you resolved? Well, yeah. let's just say everybody should steer clear of mayonnaise for a while. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Might be safest. Godzilla versus Hellman's. <laughs> I would totally go see that movie. <laughs> also with us, uh, as always, usually, hopefully, never not enough, uh, Gabby Panicia, virologist from Rockefeller University. Um, do you get any kind of jet lag going in and out of the, um, the uh, laboratory safe zone hierarchies? Honestly, kind of. So, like, you know, I've mentioned that I work in a BSL-3 sometimes, and the BSL-3 is sort of our high containment zone where you have to wear the full Mm. plastic suit. And there's no windows in the Uh BSL-3. And especially in winter, if you are doing, like, an hour, two-hour, three-hour-long experiment, you go in there and you come out and it's dark. And so it does kind of feel like a little bit of jet lag because, like, it could only be 4 p.m., but it's the winter. So you come out and everything's dark and sad, and you're like, but it was... It was sunny when I went in there. What happened to the world? Yeah, it's it's very jarring sometimes. That's funny. When I was very little and went to the movies, maybe the first few times I went to the movies, we went to the movies, it was light out, and we came out and it was dark out. And I just thought that was because of the movie. That's how movies work. Yeah. <laughs> they they turned on the lights, so that's what happens. Exactly. That's what happened. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so we have a... Um, speaking of light... And when are we not? Um, we have an exciting um, st- story this week for our if. Um, uh, Gabby, would you like to, uh, just b- before we go on further, when, whenever I drop a term that I feel like newcomers may not know, and I know we do have newcomers. By the way, I want to welcome our newest Patreon member, Chuck, from Bangor, Maine, uh, our uh, new listener. Uh, it's wonderful to have you. Um, are you a new Patreon member, listener? If not... Go check it out at patreon.com slash what the if and find out what that's all about. But we salute Chuck and all the other Patreon uh, members I know, the veterans, welcome you to their um, 
pantheon. Um, so sorry, Gabby, would you tell us what is an if for those who are new? Like Chuck, maybe Chuck's heard it, but maybe, maybe listen to one show, two shows, but then he's like, what's, what does this mean, an if? Yeah, so every week we do a thought experiment. We pick one sort of what if scenario, that's our if, to run with as far as we can possibly go. Uh, so it can be big, like what if there was no gravity, or it can be small, like what if we only had four fingers on each hand. Um, and we just try to go as completely, you know, to the farthest logical possible conclusion as we can, and hopefully some good science falls out along the way. That's really fun. I don't know why I thought of an if uh, were you there. You said, what if we had four fingers? I thought, what the if... Um, we had a thumb, but we just didn't know what it was for. So we it. <laughs> it was just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, this appendix thing. And everyone got them removed automatically, you know, because it's like, what do we Admittedly, um, when I said that, I was thinking of like, what is it, like the Simpsons or whatever? Or like most cartoons, they only draw four. Oh, yeah. Right. It's right. <clears throat> saves a lot of time. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I was thinking. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, yes. And, uh, um, our story, uh, sometimes our ifs are inspired by you, listeners, and you're always welcome to submit yours. Um, or sometimes we have guests, and that's always fun, and they come with their if. Or sometimes they are ripped from the headlines, or as we say, screenshot from, <laughs> or PDF'd. Yeah, it's a little less headlines. violent than ripped, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Oh, screenshot sounds, sounds kind of violent. Um, and this week is screenshot from the headlines. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to riff on a thought experiment um, where a lot of science is going to fall out as well. Um, the headline, uh, now I'm reading this on, oh, I was going to say, I was reading this on digitaltrends.com, but it comes from The Guardian. Uh, from The Guardian, the hologram, the hologram, <laughs> the headline, excuse me, the headline is, holograms are coming to university classrooms. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to maintain some ethics. And I'm going <laughs> to go to the original Guardian article uh, instead of the uh, digital trends. Okay, so I wanted to know who the article was by, and the article is by Rachel Hall at the Guardian. The subheadline: AI-powered technology that projects lifelike avatars trialed at something university. Matt, can you help me understand that? What do you think yeah. of that pronunciation? Loughborough. Uh, I would say Loughborough, yeah. Okay, Loughborough. <clears throat> I'm University. not familiar with it. I can't say. <laughs> yeah, I've not heard that before. Even in Monty Python, I've not heard that. That's usually where I've heard most of the odd British names. Um, the article here, I'm just going to read a little bit of it from Rachel Hall's article. Uh, any university lecturer, and we have one here, maybe you can tell us a little bit more later. Uh, any university lecturer will tell you that luring students to a morning lecture is an uphill struggle. Would you agree with that, Matt? Oh yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which one Especially when live? the L train isn't working, which happened on, on mm. Tuesday. Mm. Half my class just didn't show up because they were stuck on the train. Oh my goodness. Not a problem That's... in Loughborough, I'm sure. No, no. Well, they would be stuck on the tube. Um, <laughs> and uh, yes, yeah, so thank you for, we just want to do some real, real time fact checking. The article continues, but even the most hungover fresher <laughs> would surely be enticed by a physics lesson from Albert Einstein or a design masterclass from Coco Chanel. That's, wow, if I could have, Einstein and Chanel would have been a wonderful TV show. <laughs> uh, this could soon be the reality for British students as some universities start to beam in guest lecturers from around the globe 
using the same holographic technology that is used to bring dead or retired singers back to the stage. Uh, Loughborough University, the first in Europe to explore the technology's applications, plans to use it to bring in sports scientists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology to teach fashion students, this is just all over the map, uh, how to create immersive shows and to test management students on navigating tricky business situations. And I'll just end here by saying, Professor Vicki Locke, the Director of Undergraduate Studies at Loughborough uh, Business School, said students, quote, absolutely love, end quote, the technology and have been begging for selfies with the gadget. <laughs> They would prefer, quote, a guest speaker from industry beaming into a classroom to a 2D person on the wall, she added. I like how she didn't give the, she didn't say where at all, the 3D person in the room. <laughs> which is that's the not even an option. Yeah, that's, that. they, they, they don't do that. They'd certainly prefer a 2D person on the wall to the 3D person in the room. But, um, Matt, would you help us understand? I think to, we have to uh, have an opening announcement here uh we have an incantation where we will begin the thought experiment so can you help us understand why why or what, what's the necessary caution we need to oh well i mean reality is not to be messed with um but yes. we're gonna do it anyway um <laughs> because the cops have not discerned our location yet um but that does mean that if you're listening in uh, there is some peril of um uh, disturbing the the weave of the of the world um, so I would say if we're doing holograms, we want safety goggles. So if everybody puts on your safety goggles, um, that will help. Yeah, absolutely. And we ask, what the if? What the if holograms were a thing? They're real. They begin in your classroom, and who knows where they go? Is there? I'd like to see the teacher's lounge, where it's all holograms. They would no longer need to have that sign, no smoking in the teacher's lounge, because it would just be holograms. You could smoke if you wanted, I suppose. It would just be light. Um, so, uh, Matt, I think being the one who uh, would be the hologram, yeah. uh, first of all, I would say <clears throat> what what... What positives might you see about this? Uh, um, well, I mean, as with remote learning in general, um, we discovered that it's it's pretty neat to be able to have a a presence um, anywhere in the world, right? Uh, essentially, yeah. instantly. So, uh, you know, it used to be that if somebody wanted to have me come teach in their classroom, they would have to fly me there. So if I was going to go to Loughborough, um, that would be several hours on a plane, several hours on a bus, terrible food once I got there. Um, essentially, I have to block out a week for a one-hour lecture. Um, yeah. But uh, with things like Zoom these days, um, they can just bring me in whenever. So that's a pretty powerful thing. Um, and that's been you know, something I've taken advantage of when uh, a friend of mine... Um, uh, who's a sociologist in India. I, I had my students read some of his stuff in class, and then he just zoomed in one day to talk to the students. And that was amazing, right? That was a fantastic yeah. thing to be able to do. 
Um, so that's um, so I think that's the major upside is this kind of universality you could suddenly have. And how do you think, uh, Gabby? As a, let's say you're a student in this classroom, uh, how would you feel about if your teacher was a hologram? I think it depends. It's fifty-fifty, right? So I think if permanently my teacher was a hologram, I would not really care. Because um, I think <laughs> right, right. also too, you have to consider how much their ability to see the rest of the classroom is. It's not the same as if they were there. So if they yeah. only have, for example, a small screen of what the rest of the classroom looks like, they're not really going to recognize me, and they're probably going to blink uh. right out the minute the class ends, and you're not going to really necessarily be able to ask them questions. Yeah. Uh, it might be like, well, class is over, and then you know, flick off the hologram, and then your professor's <laughs> just gone. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure many of them wish that they could do, rather than being like bombarded with questions <laughs> by right. undergrads. Um, <clears throat> So, I mean, I love the idea of like guest lecturers uh, because for all the reasons that Matt said, right, that, you know, you could have whoever you want basically give that one hour lecture and it only takes an hour of their time. So you're much right. more likely to get higher profile speakers, people who are much busier, who ordinarily couldn't take the time to spend three days traveling to your university to give a one hour lecture. They could just yeah. give that one hour lecture and then, you know, be on their way. And we we fortunately did get a good chunk of that uh over Zoom when everything was over Zoom. Yep. Uh, but now there's sort of been a push to get back to normal because people like actually seeing people face-to-face. -face. Uh, yep. Much like they said in the article that, you know, Zoom just kind of sometimes feels like you're watching a TV. Yeah. It turns out, actually, that that kind of, you know, chat after the lecture and running into somebody in the hall um, matters a lot, right? Um, those face-to-face kind of unscripted interactions really matters. Um, like the article says, the, the 2D version of the person is not the same. Um, there's, there's something about the embodiment that really matters. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, oh, sorry, just even dovetailing right off of what Matt said, it's like, even though it's inconvenient for people to come and spend multiple days, sometimes good stuff does fall out of it. Like, I mean, there is a chunk of my future career that has come out of I happened to meet the right person who was there to give a talk. Mm -hmm. um, and so things like this happen all the time, at least among scientists. So on one hand, you get more accessibility and there's more people you can have to, to just give a talk. But you also lose out on that serendipity like Matt was talking about, where just have two people in a room and the, by nature of the fact that that person is going to be there for a couple of days, they, they usually don't just give the lecture and turn around and leave immediately. They stay around, give a talk somewhere yeah. else, get taken out to dinner. And that is yeah. the part, the extra layer that sort of kind of helps other people forge sometimes very important connections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I, I'm going to jump jump forward a bit and automatically and just say that imagine the technology is as good as the holodeck. Right. Um, ah, okay. So, mm -hmm. it's uh, we can imagine the sort of ho ho we can, you know we've seen some holograms. I've never actually seen a three dimensional hologram like in a room. So I'm curious to see that. I know some people have seen like on stage. There have been performers have been projected in 3D and things like that. Um, so and and in this article, they're they're sort of going on and on about how saying saying the students are just completely wowed by the tech capability of this technology. Um, but uh, I feel like if it's any bit of artifice, it can't be that great. I mean, when you look at somebody mm -hmm. and you know they're not actually looking back at you, 
it can't be that convincing. Yeah, so I have to um, uh, do a tangent here. So I have a professional obligation to point out that it's almost certainly not an actual hologram. Right? Oh, um, oh, yeah. So right. a hologram is a specific coherent light optical construction, um, mm-hmm. which are extremely mm-hmm. neat, um, but uh, are extremely hard to make um, and are not really doable in real time. Like you can make a hologram and hang it on the wall and then it'll sit there. Um, so, but in common parlance, as this article does, we use hologram to mean any kind of um, artificial image that seems to have depth and reality to it. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm, it's just kind mm -hmm. of a shorthand, but it's actually not a hologram. Um, What they're talking about with things like recreating dead entertainers, like it was, it was Tupac Shakur. They did this with, right. They like sent Mm -hmm. him on tour or something. Um, It's actually a a 19th century optical technique called Pepper's ghost. Hmm. Um, Yeah. In which you just, um, uh, reflect an image through a piece of glass and it creates the the illusion that someone is standing behind the, the glass. But, so it's actually an extremely old and unsophisticated technique. Um, yeah. So it's not um, it's not a hologram at all. So, end right. rant. And, 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 and rant. And, <laughs> hashtag end rant. Hashtag yeah. rant. Um, uh, and a total spoiler alert, cover the kids' ears. Uh, if you've ever been to the Haunted Mansion at Disney World mm-hmm. or Disneyland, um, the, uh, there's an abundant use of Pepper's Ghost yeah, glass. Those are all Pepper as well. Mm-hmm. Ghosts are projected onto the glass, and it, but it looks like they're actually in the room that's in front of you. And it's really cool. It really works, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the, however, that's why I sort of say, let's imagine it's even like the holodeck. I mean, I, I could totally imagine that the thing they point out is the most interesting thing, and you mentioned it there, Matt, is what if you could have a celebrity or celebrity uh, professor from the past, even which already implies there's way more technology going on than simply whatever the projection is, right? It's an yeah. AI mm-hmm. um, simulation of somebody. So, uh, for either of you, what, what I'm curious, what, how would it feel? Who who would be your choice of uh, famous scientist from your field or wherever uh, to be in your classroom, and how would it feel to be with them? Gabby, you can go first who would you have oh i mean my answer should probably not surprise anybody who's listened to me on the show i absolutely hate <laughs> that um because i mean one of the things that i like i oh, i so really you wouldn't you wouldn't want it even if you could no have. no because right, it's right. How, how do you guarantee it's accurate mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like yeah. you know you can train an ai on what footage we have of like, for example you don't have footage of darwin we, right. there's no video mm-hmm. of darwin so how do you train an AI on how it, how he moved? You could train it maybe on like, you know, however much text is out there of people talking about, you know, his mannerisms, like people from the time. Um, but ultimately you have like a couple of photographs and yeah. writings that he would have said, but how he would have written, but how can you guarantee that the writings are necessarily accurate to what he would have said? Would he have talked the same way? in person as he would have written. So there's all this stuff too about like, you know, and then you also only have what he happened to be asked about. If one of, if you want to get say like, you know, you know, uh, Einstein's perspective on something that he never would have experienced in his life, the answer that you're getting is immediately interpreted by an AI trying to fill the blanks, not actually Einstein. 
So it's kind of this thing where it's like, I don't like passing that off. Like it's any solid representation of a real person because mm -hmm. personally I would hate if somebody trained an AI on all of my writings and like, you know, all of the time that I'm on this podcast and then puppeted some ghost facsimile of me to go talk to some students and say stuff that I might not ever have actually said. Um, so that's my rant. Uh, like I said, I think it's great for people who are like actually there and can pilot their own holograms. But the idea, like the, the, I think the guy was saying like, oh, you could have Stephen Hawking give a lecture and it would be exactly like having yeah. a real Stephen Hawking there. And I was like, X for doubt. Like, uh, yeah, that and that's also a really, really bad, really <laughs> bad choice. <Yeah. laughs> Such an awkward choice. Yeah. But, like, I, he stepped a, right in. Not that. a real dynamic lecturer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Darwin would be an interesting example, um, if for no other reason than he really didn't give public lectures. So mm. it would be an almost entirely invented thing. Um, I should say he was painfully shy, and he probably would have been ah. diagnosed with anxiety, depression disorder today. Um, mm. Like he just rarely left after he got back from the Beagle, he rarely left home. And when visitors would come, um, he set up a mirror in the hallway so he could see who it was before they came down to his office and decide if he actually wow. wanted to talk to them or not. Like he worked really hard <laughs> to not talk wow. to people. And yet he had traveled the world probably more than most people. Isn't that crazy? Far. Yeah. That might have um, been what did it. Why I think that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I've maxed out. <laughs> I've been locked yeah. in this tiny little room with 40 sailors for three years. Like, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I think I'd be I, I'd be torn between somebody like Darwin, who we'd have no idea what they would have talked like, so it would be interesting to see, and then maybe somebody who is sort of a famously good lecturer um, or famously good presenter. And I guess if we're if we're in Darwin territory, then that would be T. H. Huxley, who is who is Darwin's bulldog, um, who's the he went out and fought all of Darwin's battles for him, um, and he was um, a fantastically famously good. Um, at giving lectures and engaging the audience. And, and he did, well, let's see here, he wrote an enormous amount, so you could easily train an AI on, AI on his stuff. Um, but again, the, the physical mannerisms, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to know. I don't know how you would reconstruct yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. You, you, well, you, uh, it's funny because it strikes me as I, I live, in making documentaries, I live on the always fuzzy border between um scholarship and entertainment you know mm. so you know it reminds me of some of the challenges that they must have gone through even talking about disney world when they when they created the hall of presidents yeah, or something like that and they made these animatronic robots they had to choose what would lincoln's voice sound like what would i think it was hal holbrook or, <laughs> or jimmy stewart or something like that um but uh yeah um I think it, it's it's probably going to happen, though, right? Yeah, so, that's right. So that means yeah. somebody who's putting together the AI has to make yeah. some choices. Um, yeah. And I think probably the easiest thing to do would be to, I don't know, hire an actor <laughs> to go mm -hmm. right. um, yeah. uh, do the physical mannerisms that the AI would then copy or choosing a a living person to say all right darwin's going to behave like um i don't know joe biden 
Um, and then you just <laughs> copy all of his mannerisms from there. Yeah. Actually, um, that's quite, that's kind of interesting. That'd be kind of entertaining. You can already kind of do that. But yeah, the, the, in other words, the, the tech, we are just on the edge of the technology to be able to create, um, you almost don't even need the actor anymore, but I imagine an actor could do the motion capture, let's say, of, mm-hmm. of somebody, yeah. and the AI totally just re- replaces them with a you know indistin- a likeness like the person, and you would choose the age. It'd be interesting, actually. I mean, you can imagine if you had Einstein, you'd choose what age Einstein do you want. Uh, that's uh, a good have, point, yeah. You could mm-hmm. have old Einstein arguing with young Einstein. That'd be, kind That'd of be pretty funny, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be good. Um, yeah, Einstein, we have enough... Well, I was about to say we have enough film as an footage older of person. him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but most of the film footage is actually him just standing there or waving yeah. to the camera. Um, yeah. But that might be enough. Well, there's for, enough. For a lecture. <laughs> they're not good movies, but there, there are a lot of movies of people playing Einstein. Uh, They've yeah, made some right. attempt to. Uh, um, but I should it. say the, the physical mannerisms really matter, too. And this is something I discovered during remote learning is that I, I walk around a lot when I teach. I, I wave yeah. my hands around. Um, I, I doodle on the board. Um, and when I found I couldn't do those things anymore, that was really painful and it was hard for me mm. to engage with the audience oh, because um, of zoom you were on zoom because of zoom yeah so like gabby yeah. was saying it's um you know when somebody's on the screen you know they're not looking at you and that meant that i had a tough time because in the, the physical classroom i can tell whether people are following me and what they're not what they're confused by and so on just by looking at their faces and their body language um so really i would demand a two-way hologram situation where yeah. I get to see the whole audience projected as well. Um, yeah. And that might work better. I, I, I would be more amenable to that. Yeah. And I think, again, interestingly, we are almost there. Um, and I think within six months or a year, we'll, that technology will exist. It won't be perfect. But uh, it just so happens that this week, literally just a day or two ago, um, Apple released their virtual reality headset, which they, they call Apple Vision Pro. But one of the features in it that I've seen a lot of tech columnists who are pretty jaded people often because they've been doing this for many, many years and seen a lot of Apple products that are good and others that are not so good. Um, they, they thought the headset is interesting. You know, it has its pros and cons. But the one app, the killer app that they, was blowing them away was simply FaceTime, simply telephone calls, or yeah. video calls. Mm-hmm. Because it, um, what the thing does is because you're wearing basically a ski mask, ski goggles on your face, um, if you were to actually be shown as you are on the video call, people wouldn't be able to see your face. So it creates this digital version of your face, a little somewhat game, video game-like version of your face. And it's in the, totally in the uncanny valley. But the thing they were saying was amazing was that it, it allowed them to be able to see each other. And th- there was a three-way call. You should look up um, um, uh, Marcus Brownlee. Um, is one of the great tech columnists. And he uploaded and there's two other people and we did a three-way call and they said that you couldn't see this in the recording only the people actually wearing the headset could see this but that when they did move around the room they moved in front of each other in space oh is that right one person walked to the left Hmm. or walked and that the sound they said the most amazing thing was that the 3d sound you know environment completely sounded like that person was over there and walking away from me and coming back so, and then they could change mm-hmm. the room. You could change the environment. I'm in a small wooden room, and it sounds like they're in a small wooden room together. Then they're outside in a forest, and it totally sounded like they were standing together in a forest. So 
kind of interesting. So there's um, a, I should say there's another aspect of teaching that, that Gabby yeah. might have some thoughts on too, which is um, teaching is not just talking and moving around, mm. but it's very often showing you how to do things with your hands. How do you right. pipette? <laughs> how do you use a fume right. hood? Um, and that strikes me as would be trickier. Um, but I don't know, Gabby, what do you think about that? How important is it to have somebody actually be able to put hands on you? <laughs> yeah, so this is, so you bring up a great point because this is something we ran into in the pandemic, actually, that like, uh, you know, yeah, right. a whole mm -hmm. host of grad students were still just completing or even just starting at one point their rotations. So how do you show somebody what a lab is like when half the lab can't be in the same place at the same time and the person teaching you can't be any closer than six or eight feet away from you? Um, mm. One lab got around this with GoPros on a chest mount. So they had oh, wow. GoPros mounted on their chest, which would look into the hood where they were doing oh, the experiments. God. So you could first person see what the person's hands were doing, essentially, right. um, which I think was actually pretty clever. Like that was a really clever way around it. But yeah. yeah, it does affect a lot when you can't really be around another human being. The idea, I guess, hologram-wise is that you would have to also project a hologram of the machine or whatever it is that you're you're learning. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's also a thing that I wonder about, like, how close you can get, right? Because it's a hologram. Well, let's just say this is a perfect hologram. So it's actually yes. like, you uh, know, uh, Star like Wars. Yeah, the full yeah. 3D <clears throat> emperor is just hanging out there five yeah. inches tall on your table. Um yeah. If you could blow that up, that might be, you know, like really expand that. That might be pretty useful because it's very much then like you could just be sort of standing over somebody's shoulder while they do it. Um, and I could yeah. think of ways in which that's really useful where like right now we have to send, say, for example, you want training with a very specific machine with a very specific, you know, type of software that's also on that machine. Like those are sort of the things that go like imagine I'm, I'm using a, a really complex microscope. I need somebody to teach me sample prep for the complex microscope in mm. addition to how to physically operate the microscope and then the one that is always the most fiddly, how to handle the software on the incredibly fiddly <laughs> microscope. Yeah. Um, and the software is always the most annoying part, no matter what anybody tells you. Um, and the sample prep and, you know, working the fiddly microscope can probably be accomplished by, you know, hologramming both of them. The software stuff might be a little bit more difficult because I feel like computer screens are never rendered in holograms. Mm, um, yeah. So like normally it goes the other way that the holograms negate the need for the computer screen, but then it's kind of sort of a hat on a hat situation. You need to show the software to somebody through the hologram. Um, and that's fascinating but, that the hardest thing to teach without being in person is the virtual stuff, right? The the software, yeah. the digital things is what you actually yeah, need the physical presence Yeah, which sounds totally for. backwards. Mm -hmm. But right now, we if, if that's the case, you, we have to send people to whoever knows that. So if it's on campus, great. You just go walk to whatever part of the campus has people that know how to use that. If there's only one lab in the world that knows that technique and you need that technique, you either have to do your best reading their papers or what usually happens is they'll kind of send you for like a week or two to that lab if mm -hmm. they agree uh, so that you can get trained on their technique. The, so I'm, I'm not sure why. expensive as hell. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why, why is it hard to teach software in 3D? You would no, just, just be, the joke no. of like you've never seen a screen rendered through a hologram. 
Star Wars doesn't show screens and holograms. The holograms are all people. Oh, They're always a oh. person. So maybe you but can imagine instance, a physical 3D object, but it's like how do you all like also blast up a screen? Oh, you could, you know, put up a screen well, actually, at the same time. The the Apple this Apple Vision Pro is almost the main goal, at least the way they're presenting it right now, is literally for this purpose. So what they're they're saying is that <clears throat> instead of having just your computer screen in front of you, you could have many screens around, or you could just take your one screen and make it bigger, for instance, like that. And what you actually see then is with the goggles on, you look at your room and there's a big screen and you can put that screen wherever you want and it's locked there. And there's another thing they were saying mm-hmm. is kind of crazy is that the 3D technology is so good. You could literally walk around it if you want, or you could set it to track you as you walk around it. It'll just always be facing you. Just being followed uh, by a... I just hate that. Yeah, I'm like, I want to look away from my work. I don't want to have it. Like everywhere (laughs) you turn, your work just stays in front of your face. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, yeah, the the ubiquity of never being able to escape, um, I think, would be a a serious feature and or bug um, of this whole thing. And I don't know quite how all that would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, Gabby, when you were talking about teaching the teacher, teaching the 3D technique to prepare a slide or whatever, or use a microscope, that actually, it clicked for me. Again, this is a very obvious thing, but it hadn't quite clicked for me that, for instance, you can learn so much on YouTube. I watch YouTube all the time. I love mm-hmm. it to me. It's the best documentary, the best version of PBS that ever existed because I just watch the good stuff. <laughs> I just stay away from the mm-hmm. nightmare uh, other stuff. But um, um, to be able to, yeah, once that's in 3D, which again, it will be quite soon or theoretically could be if, if I bought a, a virtual headset and watched whatever small amount of uh, 3D video exists. You really could, like how to fix a car or how to do anything three-dimensional, you could be learning it from a master. You know, it doesn't have to be a dead person. It could be right now living here is the best car mechanic ever and, or, or, or a race car. You could learn how to be in a pit crew for a race car. That'd be like amazing. Oh yeah, no, I totally think having like, being able to like actually show that like in depth or in three dimensions would probably be really helpful. The yeah. only thing I wonder about is like, you know, for everything that you learn, you have to be able to practice it yourself. Yeah. So depending on how niche the thing is you're trying to learn from the hologram, not having the physical interaction would probably like impede how much that, you know, actually gets reinforced. So like if you learn how to fix your car, you can go out to your car and like with the YouTube video and like, right. and also be fixing your car at the same time. If you're trying to learn something like some really complex Whoa. microscope or like how to pit crew specifically an F1 race car, you yeah. probably don't also have an F1 race car just like hanging <laughs> right. out in your garage. So like, right. as far as academic knowledge, like great. But if like I'm, for example, if I'm trying to teach a, a lab class, let's say exclusively over hologram, so that right. rather mm-hmm. than having, you know, one one grad student or whatever teaching the class per room, let's just say all of the kids start off by watching a hologram of somebody doing the experiment and then go and do it. I wouldn't necessarily fully trust that all of them got it. And then the subsequent like lack of supervision might make like, there's something about doing something as somebody is showing it to you that I think is really beneficial for um, learning. So as long as you have like the essential equivalent of whatever they're doing, like in front of you, it should be exactly the same. But sometimes like learning in a vacuum is, is kind of hard. Yeah, so I think the probably the acid test of this is: Would you be willing to have a surgeon operate on you? Who yeah, only that's what learned I was thinking <laughs> from the yeah. hologram. Um, yeah. And I think the, the answer is no. 
Right. You would you would not want that. <laughs> but if you if it was a surgeon operating on me remotely, I actually weirdly would trust that as long as well, it's like the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and actually, what yeah. what if it was the be- what if it was you live somewhere? Even you live in some fine, you know, medium-sized city, but you could be operated on by someone who's the very best in the world, who's you know in New York. My understanding is that also kind of—I don't know if the distance part of it already happens, but aren't there like you know, there's like microsurgery machines where essentially the surgeon isn't in the room; they're like piloting. Mm -hmm. I think they have done some um, some trial runs from you know across the country, kind of thing. I don't. I think in the space station. In the space station, I think they've not anything serious, but like they've they've worked on this because that's one of their big fears. Is I mean that's kind of about as remote as you can get. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So actually, you know, because there are some things that you do want people to be able to do remotely, you know, where you have a highly specialized person like a surgeon and they can't be everywhere at once. Um, I actually, strangely, I think education is not perhaps one of the best applications Mm -hmm. for that. I'm not quite sure why we think it is. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I say there's a very, that's that's a very longstanding trope in kind Mm -hmm. of technological visions. So like in the early 20th century, when film first became a thing people were like oh well this is great everyone can just get a film of a teacher and learn whatever they want and in the early days of the telegraph people were like great everybody has a telegraph station in their home and then they never have to go to school again so this this has been i don't know a constant thing that we can replace teachers with technology if you thought zoom if you thought learning by zoom was hard try learning by telegraph yeah I mean, and sometimes you'll see these things floating around like cartoons from the 1920s that look exactly like a Zoom classroom. And people are like, wow, Wow. (laughs) I'll try to dig one up and and send it to you. Um, I think it is kind of funny, right? That like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Mm -hmm. Where like even as like a scientist, as somebody's, you know, I guess you could say like technologically involved the amount of times where I actually am desperate for another human being and that technology is that like meant to streamline things actually makes things way more inconvenient <laughs> is mm-hmm. a lot. Like, uh, yeah. So I feel like sometimes there's no good replacement for having a physical human being there. Yeah. Sometimes there's like a proxy of it. Um, or, you know, having a representation of a physical human being is better than a flat screen. It's probably better than a telegraph. Um, right. but yeah, there's something nice about having an actual person that you're talking with. Uh, well, I'm always, yeah, I, I'm always fascinated by the tea and cookies part of the day that I've seen in every <laughs> science institution, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 academic institution, like, and because uh, with History Channel, I got to visit, you know, lots of, I got to visit Cambridge and places like that, and I saw that happen. But then I would also go to MIT, and and I'm a very modern place, mm-hmm. and they still have the tea and, or Princeton. Oh, yeah. They still have the oh, tea sure. and cookies, right? That's and so, oh, wow, great. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, so, how suppose you are you've you've both been hired by uh, Apple or somebody, do you saying you know look this hologram thing is here, like it or not? Um, what we'd like to do is we. We want to maintain the this serendipitous aspect, like you were talking about, Matt. That that after the tech class is done, the teacher can run into other students or other professors in the hallway. And I feel like the tea and cookies thing is just an example of that, where lots of random meetings 
come. In fact, there have been any there have been a number of scientific breakthroughs that have the scientists have said came about be, while they were having tea and cookies with somebody, right? Oh or, yeah, or, no, yeah. Or a so walk. Super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and quantum physics you... was all invented in on ski trips. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and like hikes in the forest, right? exactly. Yeah, the German forest and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, how might you maintain that uh, using in the hologram world? So yeah, so like I said, uh, yeah. So I want the the double sided version, right? So I need to yeah. be able to see the holograms of everybody in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what else I would demand. Oh, I would um, need to be able to walk around and wave my yeah. arms and doodle. Um, and this is and like doodle, something, yeah, because uh, yeah. that's actually really important for my thinking um, mm-hmm. is to be mm-hmm. able to do that. And one of the things that I uh, say, sorry in advance, Philip. One of the things I hate about being like interviewed on on <laughs> video or on film is I have to sit still um, yeah. because yeah. that yeah. doesn't yeah. work well for me. Um, yeah. You should Especially. have told me that. I would have told the cameraman to go handheld. We could have done that. Oh, that would have been great of me running around the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would have totally done. Next next movie. Yeah. Okay, good. I don't know. Gabby, do you have any demands that you think would help? Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of all of the things that they did in like Zoom that kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like pl- we had plenty of like conferences and meetings where – they gave you, they gave you like a virtual physical space. I mean, it wasn't as virtual physical as like, you know, a representation of yourself standing in a room with your friends. Um, but I, I remember it being kind of weird because essentially the paradigm was still the same. That like I, I I feel like maybe the weirdness might go away if you actually are like a 3D representation of yourself in 3D space, but everything was like a 2D representation of yourself in 2D space. And then you'd yeah. go walk over to somebody and then like it pulls up a video screen of both of you, and then that's how you have a conversation. Uh, um mm-hmm. which just really isn't the same. It's not. Um <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if I'm like, say, a virtual lecturer, I probably then don't really have any contact with the other members of the virtual department Mm -hmm. which i think must be weird like establishing like a department culture is is kind of important to like a a university and how things like not even necessarily how things are taught but just like how the work gets done um so for example there's you know none of my departments interact with students uh but the culture of it is kind of important for how everybody gets stuff done um I don't know. Humans are social creatures, and I, I don't. I I very much yeah. wonder exactly how how the feeling or like the investment, the personal investment in things, goes away when it just becomes holograms of people in space rather than actual people. Yeah, even it's if it's like a pretty good representation of a person, like the human brain is still pretty good about being like, well, you're not really here. Yeah. It it comes down to there is a very interesting scientific question here, which is which I know I'm sure the designers of virtual reality headsets deal with all the time, which is what is the minimum number of cues, environmental cues that the brain needs to switch into thinking it's actually somewhere. Ah, right? that's a good mm. question. Like when you when you one of the amazing things about IMAX. I remember, I remember seeing an IMAX movie for the first time to fly, right? And you were in a hot air balloon flying over places. And everybody just felt dizzy. And you really felt like you, or, or when they showed a roller coaster scene, right, in IMAX, mm-hmm. you felt like you were doing, when you wear a virtual reality headset, you, you can definitely feel like you're on a roller coaster. Um, I think that the, the social, like, 
it's going to be interesting. Essentially, we're talking about the metaverse, right? Just to jump right to the end and jump to the full on, go to the future, um, uh, where you can wander anywhere and you feel like you're in 3D groups, but you are still wearing a headset. So we don't know. Again, does your brain still not fully engage in the way it could if you were actually there in person? Um, in some ways, I think these things already exist. Like, uh, you know, you take any forum group, take a Reddit group, uh, and there are some Reddit groups which are tame. they are essentially like it it is a meeting place and people are chatting and you know sharing all kinds of things and and you can imagine just the 3d presence version of that um, Mm -hmm. be like a a meetup where occasionally our bulletin board our bbs members would all get together at the pizza hut and actually see each other in person for the first time i would dare say that the activity while we were on the bbs was more scintillating than actually meeting the people at the... uh, Well, actually, that raises, I think, an important point is that um, communicating virtually, whether by Zoom or by hologram, is going to be a different skill set than communicating in Mm. person. Um, So there's going to be people who are good at the remote and not as good as in person. So like, I really struggled on Zoom. It was not my thing. But some of my colleagues thought it was fantastic. And I also noticed that there were students who really thrived on Zoom who were awkward in the classroom. Um, and one of the things I've been trying to, to ponder, well, one, once we got, came back in person, I was like, how, how can I make a space where those students feel comfortable? Now that I know they're smart and gregarious, they just need a different communication medium, yeah. how do I yeah. still make a space where they can communicate? Um, and I haven't been very good at it yet, but I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, also, ultimately, imagine, Gabby, you can... You can go to the tea and cookies at any university you wanted. You could even jump from one to the other. You could follow the, uh, you know, the the sun around the earth. <laughs> go to a university in New Delhi, right? I mean, that would would actually be pretty amazing. Um, do you think if if it felt like you were really there? Uh, I don't know, right? Because part of the thing is like the introduction. If I'm just mm-hmm. dropping in on somebody's th- like, I mean, granted, right. I could know somebody there, and then that would happen. The or sad part is, I have to, there. I have to bring my own tea and cookies. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a <laughs> oh, good that's point. Right. That yes, is kind of the downside that, like, I'm not actually enjoying anything while I'm there. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awkward. Wow, you just found the fatal flaw. I don't know. Yeah, it's is. it's in a theoretical tea, tea and cookies. It's you so virtual sad. Tea and virtual cookies. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of is compared to, to some of the actual, like, university, like, I don't know, tea receptions I've been at. Well, not like they're grand, but I don't know. Right. Some of them have nice cookies, and that, that actually does play into my opinion of the place. Not a high <laughs> difference. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, like, there's something to the ecosystem of, like, sure, you could hang out with scientists from wherever, but there's something about when you're there for a lecture and you're specifically introduced, how that mm. changes the paradigm of, like, you know, people mm-hmm. don't always socialize with people they don't know. That's mm-hmm. the same thing at Rockefeller's, you know. So yeah. the thing that I mentioned at 3.30 is uh, we have a, a reception before a Friday lecture. And most of mm-hmm. our lectures have a short reception before them where the scientists that are going to be at that lecture, including the speaker, kind of mingle. Um, but you get groups. People don't generally mm-hmm. just kind of start a conversation with people they don't know. So sure, you could drop into a tea and cookies set reception anywhere in the world, um, yeah. but there's no guarantee that that means that anybody's going to talk to you. 
Or yes. that if you're just the kind of annoying person that goes and drops in in a million universities and is just trying to talk to everybody, they're like, God, we're going to blacklist this guy's IP. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. That would be easy to do. Oh, and actually, that, that raises the question of spoofing, too, is that yeah. it's yeah. going to be pretty easy to pretend to be somebody else. Yes. Um, yes. That could yes. have all sorts of interesting ramifications, not just for education, but dating. Um, yeah. And actually, maybe that brings us back to the um, mind swapping episode we did a little while ago, too. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And actually, you just remind like, hologram dating is, again, the set. I, I feel like that's the only thing I can imagine sadder than the tea and, <laughs> the tea and cookies not actually being there. But the date, you're not actually, it, it, ultimately, you're still. You know, this is where the difference. This is this is what shows you that last mile of the um, holog, holog, uh, holodeck from Star Trek. The last mile of that technology is enormous, right? Yeah. To actually provide okay. sensory things, you know, is impossible. Uh, I did well. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say until we get wired, you know, they're wired directly into our brain. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there, there's a short story I'm in the process of selling right now, which is essentially about that. It was based off of our um, mm. the episode about the spinal surgery uh, reconnection that was uh, kind of teaching the guy to walk again. Um, mm-hmm. And But essentially, I got the idea of, well, yeah, sure, eventually we'll create these like virtual environments that are like neuroresponsive and can actually like, you know, trigger your taste, smell, touch, whatever. But what if it was PlayStation 2 graphics? <laughs> um, we're essentially like you have to remember that you have to code temperature you have to remember that you have to code yeah. the exact smell of things and like people getting it like slightly off or like how yeah. like in in a scene that i wound up cutting like the narrator the narrator you know finds a beer in one of the virtual environments and tries to take a sip and it's just sort of like pungent and flat because yeah. they hadn't quite figured out at the time how to like render like the carbon dioxide like bubbles yeah, and like that great. kind of carbonation. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I do think it's the eventual later frontier of uh, this being something even more like physically neuroimmersive is also its own amusing thing to poke around at. Cause I'm sure it will be the most insane trial and error of people forgetting to code things in or just <laughs> yeah. fully like, real pushing buttons and seeing what happens on the, the neurons in the human brain. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, so Matt, as we end now, what the the whole, this has taken over the whole world and it's been going on. Everyone's used to it. What is the world? What do you think the world looks like? Well, if we're doing the, the education route, um, universities, per se, probably stop existing, right? The, the whole point oh. of a university oh. is that you get all the teachers together and all the students in one place. That's actually where the word universe, the, the uni in university refers to that, the single oh. body of, of people. Um, so there's kind of no reason for that anymore if we have perfected this. Um, so I don't know, everybody teaches from home and they probably attend classes from home. Um, so it probably doesn't even mean much to say, I'm a professor at NYU anymore, wow. um, because students can just dial into whatever professor they want. Um, so that's super convenient. Um, I don't know, I guess I'd be paid per student instead of by the university. Mm-hmm. That could have untoward effects. Um, 
and it would be very hard to have um, a, a learning community, as it were. Everybody would be doing it on their own, um, and I think that would be that would be problematic pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. Gabby, how about you? What does this world look like? Yeah, one of the things I wonder about is like, uh, sort of the. I'm going to say perception of reality, but I don't necessarily mean that in like the everything's fake so you don't know what's real kind of way. Mm. I mean this in like a gentle warp of what we consider to be normal modes of interaction. Uh, So for example, if generations of children are trained, are getting lectures from quote Albert Einstein and they lose the ability to parse that this is an AI pretending to be Albert Einstein, a representation of a person who was real Uh. versus the interpretation that this is Albert Einstein. I wonder how that kind of is going to like warp people's understandings. Like already I'm hearing teachers talk about how kids these days actually have no computer literacy, that they're online all the time, but they don't understand that they don't understand how the internet works essentially yeah, that like I've, they're like I've oh my homework is online so you should be able to f- see my homework because it's online they don't understand huh. that like they have to log into a portal that takes them to like a closed website so the te- the teacher or tutor uh, can't just see their homework because it's not online in the same way as just googling something yeah um so i kind of wonder how like in a similar sense when we get to a world where nobody's actually ever in person. Some Mm -hmm. of your lecturers are AI ghosts of people who were real, pretending to still be those same people and are not presented as simulations of them, but presented Mm -hmm. whole cloth as the real thing. How that starts to mess up your understanding of essentially reality in the main way that you're interfacing with the world. Yeah, I like that. Very cool. Yeah, I think ultimately you're just going to be in, they're going to bring back or they're going to have simulations of all these famous people and it's going to be hard to get a job because it's... That's right, because how can you compete with Albert Einstein? Um, And also everybody's going to tweak their particular version, right? Like, oh, Uh I I really like Einstein, but I don't like that he keeps hitting on my sister. So Uh I'm just going to delete certain part of his personality file here. Yeah. But yeah. it turns out that's also the part that helps him do this particular other thing. And so when you go to your friend's <laughs> house for class, you're like, oh, your Einstein's totally different than mine. Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried your Einstein with a purple hair mod? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's exactly right. Inevitably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly right. Um, and they'll be selling, you know, in digital stores, they'll be selling different socks for your Einstein. You know, each sock is different, so they can get, they can charge twice as much, you know. I unlocked <laughs> a new Fortnite dance for my Einstein. Sorry. Yeah. I, <laughs> for, sure. for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think ultimately what's going to happen is the university, and this is actually already, we'll stop here, but uh, I know universities forever were reluctant to put their classes online, to put videos of their classes on YouTube, right? And uh, but during the pandemic, they started doing it, and I think they started to see benefits of it, and they've continued to do it. They haven't pulled them off. And um, I think what's going to happen is, in some ways, the universities are going to become something which maybe they already are. We just haven't seen it this way. But they're going to be like the big streaming services. You know, Stanford, Stanford, which mm-hmm. has a million, you know, fantastic classes, as does MIT and Harvard and so um, uh, online. You know, you're going to like. Why would you go to any other university when everyone can attend? Uh, Stanford, so they're going to be like Netflix or Disney Plus. You know, I mean, Netflix, Disney Plus, Stanford, 
it'll just be another service, another streaming service, you know. Um, and then ultimately, the uh, what's going to happen is the AI is just going to realize, well, we've got Einstein and Bohr and Curie and whatever. We've got all the greats here. Uh, let's just replicate them ad infinitum, and we don't need the people anymore. Why? Why are we? Why are we dealing with these humans at all? Shut, shut off all their holograms. Let the <laughs> famous ones run amok, and that's it. End of the world. Sounds right. Boom. Um, nice. We haven't destroyed the world in a long time, actually. I know it's been a long time. Yeah. It feels good. It feels good. We're we're back, baby. <laughs> uh, Gabby, would you help us understand the closing ceremonies? Yeah. Why, why do we do this? Yes. Uh, so because we've essentially destroyed the world, we need some way to pack it all back in a Pandora's box. <laughs> so as we are attempting to teach a virtual lecture, we just take an absolute crowbar to the hologram projector. And can't help but shout. <laughs> what the Thank you all for listening in however many dimensions you were watching, listening, hearing, smelling, tasting. We'll see you next week. <laughs>